I'm Donnie Simpson, the Director of Missions for the uh, Kansas City, Kansas uh, Baptist Association. It's indeed a privilege and a pleasure to be here and to fill in for Pastor Adam today. And he asked me a couple months ago, I think it was six, eight weeks ago, that he was going to be gone if I could come. And I said, I'd love to come and be a part of your worship service this morning. And so it's a privilege to be here. I bring you greetings on behalf of 70 different churches that you partner with around a five-county area. We have Leavenworth, Wyandotte, Johnson, Miami, and Lynn County that we Southern Baptists network with. We cooperate and partner with each other in the areas of ministry and missions. And uh, we have everything from rural churches to suburban to inner city to cowboy churches, a number of ethnic works, Burmese, Bhutanese, Hispanic, Korean, Chinese, and started seven churches two years ago. Last year we started five new churches, and this year we already have four new churches that are that are ready to get started and in the process of starting. And so when you give to the association or when you give to the cooperative program, your money, as Daniel was saying, I'm one of those faces. I'm one of your missionaries that gets the opportunity to work across our city trying to reach people for Christ. Roughly two million people that we're trying to reach, about a million two in our five counties. And so 70 of us churches, we try to partner with each other and had the opportunity through that to work with your pastor and he's such a blessing him and his wife I just appreciate so much their leadership excited to hear last year I was sitting here when we set a goal of uh, five people let's baptize five people this year and then you had had a zero beside your name there for a couple years and so I think we got the three or four last year that's fantastic in fact I understand some of you offered to be re-baptized re <laughs> in order to make the five and so that was exciting I'm glad that we go after those goals, but it's just a privilege to be here and my honor. So let me pray as we get started this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship. And Father, we just pray now that all we do would honor and exalt your name. Father, I pray as I speak that you'd speak through me, Father, that it be your words and not mine, that you'd hide me behind the cross and they'd see Jesus Christ and not Donnie as I preach, Father. And so now as we open up your word, speak to us, reveal yourself to us, Father. Give us a message of hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today I'm going to do something unusual probably. You probably haven't been in the book of Habakkuk for a while. If you would, get your Bibles and let's turn to Habakkuk. And as you're doing that, because it's going to take a little while, I'm going to try to give you some background about Habakkuk and how I ended up here. Habakkuk, well, I'll give you some help. It's in the Old Testament. Towards the end of the Old Testament, about the fifth book from the end, if this helps any, it's between Nahum and Zephaniah. Really helped, didn't I? So I'll give you time to find it, but there's only three chapters. It's a short book, and we're going to find a message of hope from that passage. And this is probably maybe more for me than for you. But as you see what the book is about, you'll understand. Habakkuk was told to write this down by God, and so somewhere around 600 B.C., give or take a few years, is when he wrote this. It's what's known as one of the 12 minor prophets. Now, there's major and minor prophets in the Bible, and so I don't know if anybody knows the difference between the minor prophets and the major prophets, but in a thumbnail sketch, here's the cliff notes. Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets, which means his book is shorter. The major prophets are longer. Habakkuk being a shorter book doesn't mean the message isn't important. In fact, I think it's just as important as the others that are a little bit longer. The driving question of this book in Habakkuk is simple. Habakkuk wanted to know, why doesn't God seem fair? 
Why doesn't God seem fair? Maybe you've asked that question before, or a variation of it. Why doesn't God seem fair? Or, God, where are you? Or, why do you allow injustice to occur? See, when your coworker that's a real jerk got the promotion, that's an injustice. <laughs> your teenager's a problem, but your atheist neighbor's teen is a great kid. That's an injustice. Your company, company just lost a major contract to another less reputable company. That's an injustice. You struggle financially and you're doing all the right things and your unchurched neighbor is prospering. Seems like an injustice. Or how about the one that drew me to this passage? Violence is in the news every night and innocent people are being hurt. Every morning when I get up, without doubt, there's been a shooting in Kansas City. And somewhere in that, I want to know, okay, God, where are you? Adam and I are doing our part. Leewood Baptist Church, they baptized, they're doing their part. Where are you, God? This shouldn't be the way it is. The society or culture that Habakkuk was living in and observing was one of violence, injustice, toleration of the wrong, destruction, strife, conflict. Those are the words that the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk used to describe the world around him, the culture and the society that he was living in and ministering in. People who thought that violence was the solution to conflict, that's his culture. A society that blatantly said their lifestyle was different from what God said, but they believed it was okay. Habakkuk, he saw the problems and families and the community and Injustice is just running wild as the people seem to do whatever they want. Sound familiar? See, I felt like his culture, his society, is where we are in America today, Kansas City included. And so when I turned to this passage, I was, as I said, maybe for me, more than you, trying to figure out, okay, God, where are you in the midst of this chaos right now in our society? See, violence... Injustice, toleration of wrong, destruction, strife, conflict, families being torn apart. Just look around us. Every day there's a headline that pops up about another shooting somewhere. A suicide bomber in a Middle Eastern marketplace or a, another city where there's been rioting and causing just uh, destruction, meaningless destruction. Conflict in families and toleration in pride and sin and persecution of those who don't agree or won't promote that sin. See, I'm reminded again how this church, and I sat here one evening when you hosted the longest night service. Whew, that hurts. I'm glad you did it. I'm glad you do that ministry. But to listen to the testimonies of the people that were here that night and they poured out the pain of their hearts that night, Family members crying out over the loss of a son or a dad, a daughter, a mom. The violence makes no sense. And the cry is for God to do something. And the question is, God, where are you? And if we're honest, some of us would have to admit we want justice now. And we want to take justice into our own hands even. We think about that maybe and... There are those that are doing that in our city, but sadly, that just perpetuates the problem. Now you have another family that's hurting, suffering, and the cycle just continues. 
Don't we find ourselves ready to voice the same complaint to the Lord that Habakkuk is voicing? Lord, where are you in all this? Aren't you going to do something? Are you really going to let the wicked get away with this? Lord, I'm doing my best here. I'm going to church, I'm trying to do the right thing, and yet you allow the bad guys to prosper. What's up with that? We sound like Habakkuk. Look at Habakkuk chapter 1, if you will. Hopefully you've had a chance to find it there. Not a very big book. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I want to read those for you. And then we want to look at the Lord's response. And I hope this will be a message of hope for each one of us. Chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. The book, the writings that God gave him. Habakkuk's complaint is voiced like this. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk's laid it all on the line. What I love about Habakkuk is his approach. See, most of the prophets in their writings, if you go back and look at these, the minor and the major prophets, most of the prophets in their writings are addressing the people. And they're, they're giving the people what for, for their way of living. You need to turn from your wicked ways. You can't continue to live like this. And so that's what they're talking about. And then they come over to God and say, God, have mercy on them. And that's the way most of the prophets are written. But did you notice Habakkuk is talking to God? He's taking not just the words to the people. He's taking the questions from the people to God. It's a different approach, just a little different. See, Habakkuk is voicing his complaints, probably some of the faithful and the righteous in their community at that time. And he's saying, we don't get it, God. Where are you? And he's voicing that to God. So what we're seeing in this book is a conversation between Habakkuk and the Lord. Habakkuk is addressing God in this book and he's asking a very difficult question he's asking why and I came out of a sales background and ended up in the ministry here's what I know in sales you learn there are five types of questions because a good salesman uses questions they listen and ask questions and they'll guide you from here to here so you'll buy their product but they do that with questions and so the questions are the who what where how and why and of those, one question, the why question, is a defensive question. You know, why did you want the red one instead of the, the white one? Well, why did you say that? See, when you ask a person a why question, you have put them on the defense. They now have to defend their action, their choice. And what's Habakkuk doing? He's asking God a why question. He's saying, God, defend the fact that you're not down here helping us. See, he's asking the why question of God. He says, defend your action. He thinks God's lack of action is really what he's thinking, is that, God, you're not acting. And he's asking him why. Look at verse 2 again. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? The situation's been going on for a while, it appears. Habakkuk has addressed God previously, it sounds like. But I sense frustration and impatience as I read this. See, the writer is saying, but you do not listen. So I don't think it's the first time Habakkuk has asked this question on behalf of the people and behalf of him. 
I think he's been praying this prayer a number of times and he still doesn't feel like he's getting an answer. And so, why God? Why are you not acting? He's assuming God is not acting because he's not seeing God actions at this point. Verse 3, he cries out to God, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? This question is simple. See, the faithful are suffering. Why aren't the wicked in Judah being punished, God? In Habakkuk's mind, God wasn't doing anything to stop the injustice, and therefore, God doesn't care. Don't we draw our own conclusions sometimes when God doesn't answer it the way we wanted? He's assumed now at this point God doesn't care about Judah. He doesn't care about us because he's not responding. He's not taking care of this violence, this strife, these shootings. He's not handling it. God doesn't care. I wonder if we sometimes feel that way when we feel or see the pain of injustice in our world. Have you ever been so discouraged with your circumstances or injustice that you felt God doesn't care? Look down at verse 5. This is where the Lord then begins to respond back. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days. In other words, you're going to see this. Habakkuk, just hang on. That you would believe, you would, you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless, impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. The Babylonians to the Ju people in Judah at this point, the Babylonians are bad dudes, okay? You got the picture? They are the worst of the worst. They're wicked. They're running ramshot over people. They're feared. They're dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. What do you think Habakkuk is beginning to think? Let me get this straight, God. You're you have a plan, you have an action, and you're going to use the Babylonians? Here's the description of the Babylonians. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. Verse 10, they deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. The Babylonians are being prepared to sweep through the land to bring justice. To destroy the countryside, Judah will be punished big time about what's going to happen. Not the answer Habakkuk was expecting, I'm sure. In starting in verse 12, Habakkuk questions why God would use the wicked Babylonians. Why would you use someone that you don't even agree with? He's saying. Again, he's asking the why question. Sometimes God says, don't match, God's ways don't match our preconceived idea of what he should be doing, right? Let's look at verse 12 real quick. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O oh Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. And he begins to go on about the Babylonians. Sometimes when God has a plan and it's in place, it's not going to be the answer we're looking for. And it's not going to be as swift 
as we might want it to come about. And the method that he uses might be totally out of the realm of what we would suspect. But remember this, we're told in Scripture that God's ways are not our ways. Right? We're told that His ways are higher than the heavens are from the dust of this earth. That's a pretty big expanse. Back to Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Isaiah 55, 8. So God may trick us, if you will. He may have a plan in place that makes no logic to what we would suspect or what we would do in our ways and in our thoughts. What's the Lord's answer to Habakkuk's questioning? You know, now Habakkuk's saying, let me get this straight. You're going to use the Babylonians, their enemies, wicked people. You're going to use them to bring about justice, to stop this violence and to bring judgment upon the people of Judah. And he's questioning the method. Go to verse, uh, chapter 2. And then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation. Write this down. Put it on tablets so that a herald, a UPS guy, a FedEx person, may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not be proved false. What I'm telling you is he's going to do it. God is saying, Habakkuk, uh, you may not agree with the method, but this is going to happen. Write it down so that people know. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The righteous will live by his faith. So God's response was put very simply back to Habakkuk. Three things I want us to key in on this morning. He said three things there. He said, number one, he said, wait. Be patient and trust the Lord. And that's the Lord's answer to our complaints still today. The Lord was aware of all that was taking place. What Habakkuk brought to him was no surprise. See, there are no surprises to God. The worst that has ever happened to you was not a surprise to God. The biggest injustice you've ever seen was not a surprise to God. He's going to deal with it in his own time and in his own way. Habakkuk and his fellow believers were simply to wait, to be patient, and to wait and trust on him. Trust God. Trust me. God calls his people to live by faith, and that's to trust him. Habakkuk's been reminded, now come to us. But are you satisfied with that answer? I mean, would you be satisfied with what we just heard? In our human nature, aren't these times when we hear the Lord's answer and think, that's not good enough. <laughs> Sorry, God, you're going to have to do better than that. I need to know the details, not just trust me. In our human nature, if we're honest, that's where we are at times. We want more. We want every little detail. And I need answers for the why and the how and the when and the what. And so, God, lay it all out there for me. How much faith does that require? How much trust does that require? But that's our human nature. Why do we have such a hard time accepting God's simple answer of wait, be patient, and trust me? See, when God tells us to wait, we're quick to throw up our hands, I think, as a culture, especially our Western culture. I think as a human being, we're just quick. We throw up and we say, sorry, God, you're just taking too long. I, I got a quicker way to handle this. Oh, we may not verbalize that out loud, but subconsciously, that's what happens. We look at what God asks us to do and we say, well, sorry, God, that, that's just not going to work for me. I got a better way. And besides, my way's quicker. 
And that's the way we respond. Wait. Be patient. Trust me. Goes against every fiber of our human nature. Because it means we're going to allow someone else to be in control. And that would be God. Tremendous amount of trust being required as you read this passage. How did Habakkuk accept the answer? Look at chapter 3. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Oh, Lord, renew them in our day and our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. Habakkuk accepts the answer. It took a little bit to get there, but he accepts the answer. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I know you've done great things before. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've, I've experienced it. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. Do that again for us in our culture is what he's saying. In our time, make them known. I want to see it happen as you said it would. And then the last part, in wrath. Remember mercy. Don't destroy us completely. Remember mercy as you deal with the people. See, Habakkuk had such a strong faith. I think what he said is, okay, God, you got this. I'll trust you. That takes a strong faith, strong trust to get to that point. Do you have what it takes to trust God today? Are you allowing God to be in control of your life? Those three instructions that he gave him, let's address those. See, number one, if we're to wait, what does that look like? What does it look like for a Christian to wait? We're not patient people. We have a short attention span and a microwave mentality. We want action and we want it now. That's how we are. So what does the Bible tell us about how to wait? Here are some examples of others that had to wait. How about Noah? A guy crawls up in an ark with a bunch of stinky animals. Off they go. At some point, you're going to want out. I used to rodeo, and I've slept in the horse trailer when it was raining before, put a cot in there. It gets kind of smelly when you're around animals. So picture Noah's been in there for quite a while, and he wants out. And God hasn't told him it's time to get out yet. Chapter, six, or chapter 8 in Genesis 6 through 16, Noah, after 40 days, he opens up the window to the ark, getting impatient, human nature kicking in. And what's he do? Well, he sent out a, a dove to check and see if maybe there's land. If it doesn't come back, it must have landed somewhere. Some way, just a little signal here. Waited seven more days again, sent out the dove, and this time it returned with an olive leaf, and yet Noah waited seven more days. At this time, it didn't return. Noah didn't get out of the ark until God told him to, if you'll read the passage. See, when the last time when the bird returned with an olive leaf, He's going, okay, there's land, and if you'll read the passage, the waters are being receded and all this is taking place, but there wasn't a place yet to, to actually, for the bird to actually land and all this as Noah's doing his thing. And then you get down to the next part of the passage and it says, and then God said, okay, you and all the animals can depart. Time to get up. The cruise is over. Time to get out. But Noah had to wait. How about 1 Samuel 16, verses 19 through 21? You remember this. David has been anointed by Samuel. Samuel went to David's father and said, Hey, I think the king's in your family. Let me see all your sons. Remember, and they marched the sons in, and 
No, 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 no. Is there anybody else? Well, I got the run of the litter. David, he's back here. Okay, bring him. And Samuel goes, that's the guy. Anointed him. God picked him. The passage even says that God, let's see, man looks on the outside, because David didn't fit the part, didn't look it, but God looks on the inside. Then remember what happened. Here he's been anointed by Samuel and appointed by God, and everybody knows he's going to be the king. And if you'll read the passage, what happens? He had to wait. And it wasn't pretty while he was waiting. Saul gets wind of the whole story, and Saul thinks, I need to kill this guy. He's jealous. Actually pursues him, wants to kill him. Before David ever became king, there was a waiting period, and it wasn't pretty. Psalms 40, verses 1 through 4 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. The psalmist just said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And then it says this, He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. But blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. I waited patiently. Action required of us when we wait. I waited patiently and then... He turned to me and heard my cry. See, the consequences or the blessings are on the other side of the, I waited patiently. Most of God's blessings are on the other side of something that we're supposed to do. And we're disobedient and don't do. In this case, when he's telling us how to handle injustice and how to handle those things that really hurt us, he's saying we should wait. And we're to wait patiently. Isaiah 40, verse 31, and many of you know this one. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run, not be weary, but they shall walk and not faint. See, but the first part is we're to wait. If we can trust God and wait, the consequences turn out much better. God's way is perfect. God's plan will prevail. He is simply asking us at times to wait. You know, wait in a Christian's world should be like hitting the pause button. With technology, you understand that. But what do we do while we wait? See, wait doesn't mean I go over to the couch and I prop my feet up and I wait. That's not the way God intended for us to wait. I love uh, about 20 years ago, I guess it is now, 20, 25 years ago, Henry Blackaby had a study called Experiencing God. The whole theme of it is how to discover the will of God. But in that, one of the lessons he talked about, that when you're waiting on the Lord, trying to discern an answer to your prayers or whatever, and injustice as we're talking about today, he said, when you're waiting, you're to continue doing the last thing God told you to do. You don't just go over and sit down on the couch and turn the TV on and flip around and wait. No, you continue to do what he told you to do last as you discern what the next step is in your journey. Now think about that. What was the last thing God told us to do? I don't know what was the last thing. The last thing before he left was said, go and make disciples. As you are going is what the word go means in the Greek. As you are going, make disciples. So while we're here struggling with this injustice and the shootings and all that goes on in our world, we're to make disciples. That's our part. We're to baptize people. 
We're to lead them to Christ, disciple them. That's our part. We don't just come here and meet and hide. No, we're to go out and to go and to make disciples. One of the last things he told us to do. So we don't just say, well, God, you haven't answered my prayers. There's still shootings going on. I'm going to sit here for a while. No, that's not the way a Christian is supposed to wait. Waiting is actually more of an adverb than a, an adjective. If I got that right, I'm not an English person. I'm a cowboy. And, and think about it. It's an action. It's a, it's a, it should be taking place instead of just sitting comfortably back. So the back I was told, just wait. Hang on. I'm telling you what the plan is. In the meantime, we don't get the plan. Here's another one for you. How about an illustration of like if you're the boss at work or one of your employees comes to you and we're supposed to have a meeting at 1.30 and all of a sudden the phone rings and hang on, I need to take this. Wait just a minute. Now, I would rather have an employee that goes back, sits down there at his office and keeps working, keeps crunching the numbers, goes back to work, doing what he knows he's supposed to be doing. Then an employee that stands there, wonder how long Donnie's going to be on the phone, and doesn't do anything. I think that's what God is saying to us. When I tell you to wait, don't stand there with your cup of coffee or lay on the couch. Do something. What was it I told you to do last? Keep doing that. So we're to wait. Habakkuk shows us, I think, also, second point here, second for us, I think, a word of hope. We're to be patient. We're to be patient. A little bit of difference between wait and patient. Many of us, when we wait, we can't be patient. <laughs> Those two don't go together, but that's what he said. I want you to wait, and I want you to be patient. It's like the young Christian that came to the uh, older Christian that was mentoring him and said, man, I really, I need you to pray for me. I need patience. You know where this is going. Pray for me, I need patience. And the guy said, well, okay, let's kneel down here at the front of the, the uh, altar and the front pew here, and I'll pray for you. And the old, wise, mentoring Christian who was discipling the young Christian began to pray. And his prayer went something like this. Lord, I pray for tribulation for my friend. I pray that you'd bring tribulation every morning, tribulation every afternoon, tribulation every night. And about this time, the young Christian scared to death. said, whoa, wait a minute, time out. I just want patience. And the older Christian said, well, Patience comes out of tribulation. See, patience comes out of the trials of life. So when we're told here to be patient, probably the depth and the breadth of your patience is determined by the tribulations that you've been through and seen God respond to and handle and take care of for you. Yeah, they always say, if you want patience, don't pray for it. Because that means you're just asking for problems. Because that's how he teaches us patience. But Habakkuk was told... Be patient. By a show of hands, let's do this. Tell me how many of you have a problem with a lack of patience. Everybody want to be honest? Yeah, about 100%. It's our human nature. It doesn't make sense. How many of you are willing to pay the price that's required in order to gain patience? About 100% would say, I'm not raising my hand this time. <laughs> that's the way we are. Most of us, when we recognize the need for patience, we... We pray a prayer that goes something like this. Lord, give me patience. Give it to me now. <laughs> and that's how we want it. Patience, like most Christian characteristics, is one of those traits that grows over time rather than being given to us overnight, which is the way we would expect it. James 5 says this, We are to be patient and stand firm. And so just like waiting... There's some actions that we need to be doing during the waiting period, but as we're being patient, we're to stand firm. 
Stand firm in what? My faith. That's what James is talking about. Stand firm in your faith. Trust God. Our next point, trust Him. That's what James is telling us. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So he gave us some more instructions on when we're being patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer. Stand firm, be faithful in prayer. I believe Habakkuk was faithful in prayer. He had been talking to God about this a number of times based on the first four verses we looked at. You're wondering why, God? I'm, I'm still here. I'm here. I'm, doesn't it tell us to pray and pray and pray? I think Habakkuk had been doing that. The Lord also told Habakkuk this. We're to trust God. Now that one gets hard too. See, Habakkuk trusted him, but if you'll notice, chapter 2 was questioning him. But he got there to where it was his trust came out, chapter 3. The Lord's perspective, it's far superior to ours, and it's hard to understand that. Some of us think we're pretty intelligent. I got three and a half degrees. I guarantee something hanging on the wall is what I tell people. Doesn't mean I'm intelligent. It means I took tests well, <laughs> turned in my papers. But I think here when he says we're to trust God, the Lord's perspective, it's far better than ours. And so we're to trust Him. God sees all the history, the past, the present, and the future. And what do we see? Just the past and the present. We can't tell what the future holds. But God sees all of that from a perspective of eternity. So we're to trust Him. He can only truly do what He's supposed to do if we'll trust Him and stay out of it, if you will. I know you just came out of a sermon series in Romans, and if you'll remember this passage, Romans chapter 8, 28, it's one of the key verses for the study of Romans. And it says this simply, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. See, in all things God is at work, good or bad. In all things God is at work for those that love Him, for our benefit, for Habakkuk, for Judah, God was at work. Trusting God can be difficult at times. See, we're good at waiting. We're not good at waiting, and we're, we're not good at being patient, and we want our injustice resolved immediately, so it's hard sometimes to trust God. How about this? Think about the disciples. The disciples are there at the foot of the cross. Jesus is still nailed to the cross, and he has died. They see them take him down from the cross and put him in a tomb. In their minds, this is it. It was all fun while it lasted, but it's over. Now we're being told, trust God. What happens? There was a resurrection. In their mind, that's not possible. That's not the way it happens. In our mind, same thing. We'd think the same thing. It's not possible. Scientifically, we'd say that can't be done. Historically, it's never happened. Oh, Jesus did a few others. But the disciples that day, I'm sure, were discouraged. And they're being told to trust Him all along in Jesus' three years' worth of ministry. Yet God did exactly as He promised by raising Jesus back to life. The Lord is honest with us. He doesn't ignore the realities of our world. He doesn't sugarcoat it when He talks to us or anything. And at the perfect time, He'll deliver us from them, all these injustices. He'll deliver us completely. 
And it'll be done in His way, not ours, by the way. So why can we trust Him? Well, for the Christian, I think it all goes back to the resurrection, to the cross. The greatest demonstration of God's love was when He gave His Son for us. Habakkuk shows us today that God's still in control despite the apparent triumph of evil. You know, each night when you turn on the news and then you, in the morning you get up and you see it again, there it is, another shooting, another murder. I was with two of our church planters on the Missouri side. Much like we heard the night of the longest night service. I said, Donnie, what's Kansas City mean to you? And I, before I could answer, one of them said, doesn't it mean fountains and beautiful city and um, affluent suburbs? And he started telling me what my definition of Kansas City might be, the plaza and all this. And I mean, that's a pretty good description of Kansas City. And one of them said, you know what KC means to us here east of Troost? Killing city. That hurt. Ninth in the nation in our murder rate. And yet I work with church planters and pastors all over the city, not just in our denomination, doing good work. At some point you're going, God, where are you? God, we're doing our part. And what's he saying? Oh, wait. Be patient. Trust me, I got a plan. And it's better than any you're going to come up with, Donnie. See, the Lord tells you what the final outcome is going to be for you and for all of the people, and it's the very best one. The wait may seem long. It maybe seems hard, but the Lord promises that one day the wait will be over. The problems will be no more, and it'll be worth all of it because we'll be with Jesus. Now, that's a wait if it's definitely worth waiting for. So this morning, think about the injustices in your life. What is the Lord calling you to do through your faith and trust in Him? Perhaps it's a relationship that you continue to work at, even though it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Or maybe it's one medical test after another without any answers. What injustice is in your life? Frustration with a coworker that seems to be getting away with unethical practices. What's the injustice in your life? drive-by shootings and crime in your neighborhood where it never was before. Do you look at your life or the world around you and feel like voicing Habakkuk's questions? How long, Lord? Why don't you do something, God? Today I want you to hear the message from Habakkuk. God responded and said, I got a plan and I'm going to do it in your day. And you're going to see it. But the plan he described wasn't pretty. It may not be his plan that it be pretty for us in Kansas City. But at some point, God is going to step in and handle the situation. In the meantime, I'm to wait by doing what he asked me to do last. I'm to be patient and trust him. Go ahead and ask the questions. Next time they come up, go ahead and ask them. Just be prepared to listen to the Lord's answer. Wait, be patient, and trust me. Be reminded of who your God is and what He's done for you and who He's made you at this point. See, the gospel message is really two things. It's about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Johnson County is 72% unchurched. 
you have never had more prospects for the gospel than you have right now. Across America, we're more unchurched than ever before. The message we're talking about, the message of hope, the gospel message, is needed now more than ever. You'll never legislate the end of violence. It takes a changed heart. We have that. We have the message the world needs. As you wait, be about His work. Be patient. The results are up to the Holy Spirit. We're just called to be obedient. And then third, trust Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to come and to be a part of your worship service, Father, and to give to you our worship. Thank you, Lord. Lord, at times it seems you're not in control. It seems like there's not a plan, and we're frustrated by the violence we see and the disruption in our nation and all the things that are taking place, Father, and we look at that and wonder, where are you? So, God, today we're going to trust you. Lord, we're going to trust you that you have a plan. It's a perfect plan. And we're going to do our best to wait and to be patient, to do our part to bring about your kingdom. Thank you again, Father, for the opportunity to come to Leewood Baptist and to be a part of this worship service. For the baptisms they experienced last year, may they see double that this year, Father. May they continue to grow your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their obedience. Pray now as we go from this place, we be the church and the community that we truly would take the gospel message and live out the life of Christ that others would see Jesus through us. Pray, Father, again, thanking you for the many, many blessings and your unconditional love that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.